In their story, we find our story, not just as ordinary people, but as Easter people. doing this morning? Y'all doing all right? Man, well, it's so good to be here to finally get an opportunity to come teach. I know that they said this early, but my name's Stephen, and I, I'm the founding pastor, which pretty much means I got to Harker Heights first. But it, when I come into environments like this, man, I'm just blown away by what God has done here at Liberty Hill in just the last eight weeks. You know, you guys are like eight weeks old. Do you know that? This is like a full-grown church. It's pretty cool. Can we give it up for your leadership, your team? Man, they get here at like 6 a.m. to put everything up and to get everything ready for you. It's super incredible just to see all of their hard work. You know, I want to encourage you, um, when you come into our services, I really want to encourage you to really engage. A couple ways that you can do that is you can download the Vintage Church app where you can actually take notes inside the app, fill in the blanks, and you can text or email those to you later. When you come through the door in your bulletin, there's also a place for you to follow along. Did you know that statistically you are several times more likely to remember something if you write it down? even if you just threw it away and completely uh, didn't reference it again. And so here's what that means. You're smarter with a pen, and I believe you're also smarter with thumbs. I believe God's going to speak to you uh, in our services, specifically to you right where you are. So I want to encourage you to engage as well. So several weeks ago, we started a series called Easter People. We've been taking a look at the different characters around the Easter story and how uh, the resurrection impacted them. You know, it's interesting when you look in God's word, they actually didn't know how their story was going to end. Did you know that? Like we can read their story from beginning to end and you know it's inspired by God because there's some things in their story that you would never put on your social media profile. You know what I'm saying? Like you're like, it has to be God, right? I mean, he shows us the, the, all of it and we get to see their life and, and we get to see it before the resurrection and we get to see the early church kind of unfold in the book of Acts. But all of that starts with this massive event uh, this Easter Sunday event worldwide, billions of people across millennia have been celebrating the supernatural resurrection of Jesus. And, and here's the thing for us as believers, like we're Easter people, but sometimes Easter people, because we are around it year in and year out, because we follow God, because we even just live in the nation that we live in, uh, we can sometimes take Easter for granted. You know what I mean? I, th I think sometimes we can. Sometimes we can kind of, it can just be another thing that we do. But did you know that there is something powerful in the resurrection story that's still here? There's remnants of it here 2,000 years later. As a matter of fact, next week, you're going to see that up close and personal. Did you know Easter, unlike any other time on our calendar, is the greatest time to bring somebody to the church and engage them with the gospel? How many of you have a difficult person in your life? Be honest. Now, if they're sitting next to you, this won't work for you. They're already here, okay? But you have a difficult person. How many of you know somebody who's struggling? How many of you know somebody who could probably use the gospel in their life, could probably use, right, a spiritual family? Did you know that this coming week is the greatest time to invite people, even those resistant jerks that never say yes? Come on, somebody, anybody? You have any of those? Just me, right? It's a great time, and I'm going to encourage you. There's something that happens in Easter people as we put God first and we learn his word. That's really what this series has been about. It's really been about preparing God's people to be able to open their arms for more people in this season of harvest. You know, there are several things that Jesus himself prayed about. The biggest one was not the harvest. 
You know what he prayed for? He prayed for the hands. He prayed for the people that would be available in times like Easter to be able to receive and then connect people hurting to uh, the gospel. And so I'm gonna jump into our key passage. You can, of course, follow along on the app in your notes. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. But it's Matthew chapter 28, verses one through six. It says, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and said, and, 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 and came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. He, his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead man. They were fearful. What do we do when we encounter something we didn't expect? What's the first thing we do? Freeze, right? We freeze, right? But the angel said to the women, who were there, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified, here it is, he is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. You know, we know as Christians intuitively that this is the defining moment, not just at that time in history, but in our own lives as well. You know, when you study the scripture, and this isn't in my notes, but I wanted to talk about it a little bit because we started off our series talking about different perspectives of people in this story. For example, we kicked off week one, we talked about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, man, he was like as, 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 as he's pretty righteous. I mean, literally Jesus says like there's no greater person than John the Baptist. And then he goes on to talk about you and me, except for me and you who get to experience Jesus's resurrection. So we see John the Baptist herald the Messiah. Then last week, we started talking about the, the, the cynical, right, half-brother of Jesus, who's during his entire life in ministry was kind of like, yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, I kind of grew up with Jesus. I saw him, you know, swinging a hammer, like he's talking about this new kingdom. I'm not really sure, but then Jesus appears to him after the resurrection, and it changes everything. James actually goes on to become a pastor at the first church of Jerusalem and was a, ma a massive uh, building, a massive builder in the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, this summer, we're going to do a whole series through the book of James. The book of James is kind of like the New Testament version of Proverbs. And so I know you have vacations and I know you've got stuff planned, okay, but make sure that you're here through this summer. We're going to be studying the life of James. And James was kind of like this one foot in, one foot out guy. Like John the Baptist is all in, right? He was prophesied like Elizabeth and his dad, right? I mean, they, he, was like, he was like all in. Then you kind of have this kind of one foot in, one foot out. Today we're going to talk about somebody who's both, they're, listen, both of their feet were out. Matter of fact, they were running the exact opposite way from anything uh, resembling a Christ follower. Today we're going to actually talk about the Apostle Paul. Did you know you and I, we wouldn't have a whole lot of instruction. Uh, technically, as Gentiles, we probably wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for the Apostle Paul coming to Christ, experiencing the Jesus of the resurrection, and then going on to plant churches all over the ancient world. He wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament that you and I hold in our hand as well. And he also had a ministry that was so zeroed in at the church. Now, I want you to think about this for just a minute. The church um, was not an obvious thing to anybody that followed Jesus when he was on earth. As a matter of fact, it wasn't really even an obvious thing as the prophecies about Jesus were coming, uh, were coming uh, true and were really being prophesied about in the Old Testament uh, some hundreds of years in the past. The Bible says that Abraham got a glimpse of what was happening with me and you on the other side. And he was super, super happy. The Bible says that, that, that God credited to him righteousness. He saw it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 says that there's like bandstands in heaven. All those heroes we study about in the, in the Bible, right? They're literally looking at our lives as Easter people and going, man, I, I wish I could have been at that time in history. 
But the church for us, it's obvious, we've lived with it a lot, but it wasn't really obvious to the disciples. As a matter of fact, the disciples had in their mind this idea, and by the way, any, any uh, early follower would have probably thought this. They, they thought, you know what, Jesus, you're gonna, you're gonna come and you're gonna kick out the Romans and you're gonna, right, you're gonna come and rescue, and it was all about the nation of Israel. But God's plan was bigger, everyone say bigger. By the way, God's plan is always bigger. The longer you stay connected to God, the bigger your life gets, and you'll look back one day and go, wow, I never could have imagined what God could have used me, what God has used me to do in my past. By the way, that's the power of redemption. All of that starts with the resurrection in this moment. You know, it's interesting when you take a look because even as Jesus was preparing to go to the cross and he started prophesying about, about how he was gonna you know, be in the ground and raise from the dead, they kind of forgot all about that. You know? But then even as he, as he resurrected and he starts meeting with people, they still have a misunderstanding. The Bible actually says that the church, what God's doing in me and you, it was actually hidden. It was like God's precious little secret that he held back until the right time. And this isn't a powerful thing because I think sometimes when we think about church, we can get stuck into this idea that the church is a place you go to. That's actually not what the book of Acts teaches. This is not what Jesus teaches. This is not what the apostle Paul lays out in his letter. He actually says, actually, the church is a new and better family, a spiritual family. You know, the apostle Paul would say that because of the resurrection, spirit is thicker than blood. That's what the apostle Paul would say. And so as you and I interact, as we open up our doors this Easter, it's important that we keep that in front of us. So we're going to take a look at the apostle Paul who started his life literally persecuting the early church. And you know, he, the first person uh, that he, that the first time you see Paul come on the scene in scripture, it's actually in the book of Acts and it's, it's right before Stephen, right? Which was a deacon in the early church. One of the leaders appointed by the apostles. He wasn't actually even an apostle, uh, is stoned to death. And in that crowd, the apostle Paul, which was Saul of Tarsus at the time, he's sitting there and he's holding the coats for the murderers. Like our justice system today would say he was just as responsible for Stephen's death as the people who were actually throwing the stones. And when you look at the story, Stephen was unlike... So the, the 12 disciples who became apostles, they were fishermen. The, the Sanhedrin, they would stand before and, and they, would, they would talk about Jesus and they would say, man, these are unlearned, uneducated men, but they've been with Jesus. Stephen was actually a little bit different. Stephen wasn't unlearned. He wasn't uneducated. As a matter of fact, he was incredibly bright, talented, powerful. It talks about his ministry. Many theologians actually believe that Saul, later Paul, actually picked up the mantle of Stephen for the Gentile church. So here we have this religious leader, and this is fascinating because you have John the Baptist kind of from the tradition, like, you know, cousin, you know, cousin, you know, cousin John, right? Then you have uh, James, kind of like skeptic. But then you have the Apostle Paul, and this is important. When you talk about Saul before he was Paul, you've got to understand that Paul was the worst of every one of us. Think about that for a minute. Paul represents not just like this in-between place, but he actually represents the very worst in every one of us. I mean, he's literally going around looking for an excuse. Hey, if you, thought, if you think Facebook and Twitter are bad, okay, the Apostle Paul was like all on that road running a totally different direction but then Jesus caught up with him. How did, this, how, how did this person become one of the greatest pioneers of the church you and I are part of? How did it happen? Well, I, I believe as we prepare our hearts for Easter, here's what I want to do. I want us to like really lean in and learn just a few things from the Apostle Paul's life. I love that it's all recorded here for us to see. As a matter of fact, we're going to learn four, four lessons 
from the Apostle Paul. And I believe these lessons are really going to help soften our hearts towards our neighbors and really help encourage us in the week that we're going in. If Paul was right here, here's what he would say. The first thing he would say to us is everyone has a past that they're ashamed of. Every single one of us has a past that they're ashamed of. He was a religious leader of his day. He thought very highly of himself. And he literally represented the same people who crucified Christ. He killed those who believed in Christ. He was absolutely full of pride. Acts chapter 22, verses 1 and 5 talks about this. Brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. He spoke many languages. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under, how do I say that? Gamaliel, thank you. Pastor Nathan helped me with that earlier. Gamaliel, as his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. The high priest, the whole counselor and elders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring followers of the way from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. How many of you can relate to parts of your life that you're ashamed of? You know, what is kind of left out of the context there in Acts is he's actually standing up, getting ready to do a gospel presentation. By the way, if you you have people in your life that need to understand and know the gospel, bring them here next week because that's what we're going to do as well. So he's getting ready up. He's setting up, right? He's setting up his response time. And he opens up by saying, oh, and you guys all know who I used to be. You all knew what I used to be committed to. And he was absolutely ashamed about it. Is there anything in your past? Is there a scar? Is there, is, there, is there something in you that you're ashamed of? Well, here's what I would say to you. You're in good company. Even the Apostle Paul had those scars. If he was here today, here's what he would say you should do with them. He would say, you must surrender to Jesus. You must surrender to Jesus. Sometimes in life we try everything, but there's only one person, one experience that can change lives. And I'm going to tell you, you can get out and you can look on the line, you can look around, and there's no shortage of people trying to tell you which way to go. Here's my advice to you. Only go God's way. Build your life, stand on the truth of God's word, and when the storm comes, not if, you'll stand there. You'll stand on solid ground. I believe if Paul was here, he would say that as I was doing life my way, living my tradition, right, it left me empty. It left me lacking. It left me religious and hurtful. Paul here has an encounter that would leave him changed. Acts 22, 6, as I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. I asked, what should I do, Lord? By the way, if your life isn't going the way you want it to go, one of the best things you can do is ask a question and stop making statements. (laughs) Ask a question if it's not going like you want it to go. What should I do, Lord? What's, What's my next step? What's the thing, right, that I need to do that'll make the biggest impact? What should I do? And the Lord told me, get up. I love that. Get up and go into Damascus. There you will be told everything you are about to do. It it shows in another, in a passage here earlier, I I, I skipped, skipped some verses, but it says that the light from heaven actually blinded 
Saul, actually blinded him. So what happens when you and I surrender our lives to Jesus? This is really important. Because for some of you, you may just be kind of investigating faith. You may, you may, you, you may actually be a lot like James, right? You might kind of have one foot in, one foot out. You might be running the opposite direction, but life isn't going your way. What happens when you actually get off the throne of your own life and you surrender to your creator, you surrender to the person of Jesus? Well, here we see that the first thing that happens is Jesus changes your direction. You know, there are lots of things and ways and, and, and paths that you can take, but there is only one that leads to life. He changes your direction. Saul was going one way. He had an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus turned him around. By the way, that's where we get the word repent from. It's a fancy religious word. It literally means to change directions. In the army, it means to make an about us face. You're facing this way, you face the other way. He changes your direction, but then he moves further, and he changes your perspective. Jesus changes the way you, you think. You see, Paul thought, Saul, Paul, and that's a little confusing, same guy, different season of life. Saul actually thought he saw things clearly. Have you ever been just so right? Like you just knew you were right, only to be confronted with reality. I know we don't like reality in today's world, okay? But you really should measure reality against like what you think. Okay, because if they're not in alignment, reality will break you. <laughs> that makes sense, it just will. Like Paul thought he was doing the right thing. Paul thought he was going the right way. And yet he encounters Jesus. Jesus changes his direction and blinds him. You know, sometimes I think that's what we need God to do with us because we're just so stubborn. And I don't know, I don't know if you've ever like, like been in the dark for an extended period of time. Have you, ever like, like, have you ever been in the dark? Or maybe you've been in the light, but you walk in the dark. What happens over time? Your eyes do what? They adjust to what's going on. So Jesus changes his, changes his direction, then changes his perspective, and ultimately Jesus changes his heart. Jesus changes his heart. You see, Paul was the kind of guy, he did not have a problem with action. You know what I'm saying? Right? He was literally running full speed, a man of action, but he was running in the wrong direction. By the way, the quicker you realize that and surrender your life to Jesus, the better your life is going to be. Jesus had to change his heart. It wasn't just about change, to change his behavior, right? He had to change his direction, change his perspective, and ultimately the Bible says he had to give him a new heart. John 14, 6, Jesus says this, I am the way, not a way. I am the truth, not a truth, and I am the life. Think about this verse for just a minute. Three things you and I spend our entire life trying to find. Have you ever gotten to a place where you're, I don't know which way to go. Did you know those who walk with God, Easter people, Jesus always shows them the way. How many times have you looked at something in your own life or maybe you've struggled in an area and you wondered, what is truth? Jesus says, I am truth. Have you ever evaluated your life and thought, man, I, 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 is this going to end the way you know, is this going to bring fulfillment, right? Am I going to be able to actually make an impact and a difference? Well, apart from Jesus, you can never have the fullness of life. I believe if Paul was here today, he, he literally would say, your life begins when you meet Jesus. But he would go on to say, right, that it doesn't stop there. You meet Jesus, but then you have a choice when you meet him. You've got to choose to be humble. Write that down. Think about this for just a minute. Paul was literally knocked off his high horse, literally by Jesus on the road to Damascus. Sometimes you and I, it's good for us to be knocked off our high horse. In his case, it was probably a donkey. 
We need to be knocked off the path we're on for a better way. You know, it's not easy to live a life that you think is right and then later in life to learn that it actually isn't. Think about this. Paul gives all of his credentials, right? I was a teacher. I studied this great thing. Like I, I, had a, I have a doctorate degree in Jewishness is what he's saying. Like I understand philosophy to the Greeks. Like this was a man that like he had a lot to be prideful for. He knew a lot of things. It's very difficult, by the way. The longer you walk in life, the longer you get stuck in. By the way, every young person in here, pay attention to me right now. The best experience is always someone else's. That person in your life with gray hair or no hair, that didn't happen by accident. You should maybe listen to them. And for some of you who are older, right, you struggle with change, okay, that's an indicator that you're getting more rigid, right? You know why we throw out our backs when we're older? Because they're more rigid, they're less flexible. But, but, but our faith doesn't have to look like that. We can actually become more flexible the more that we follow Christ, healthier and more like him and more open to others. Does that make sense? So important. If it doesn't, just say amen anyways. Can y'all do that for me? Thank you. 1 Corinthians 15, 9. Look at, look at the progression of his life. He's planning churches. He's learning about Jesus. For I am the least of all apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. That's Paul. Paul says it here in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save who? To save sinners. And he goes on because we can forget this as Christian people. We can forget this as people who have been saved by grace. We can forget that the grace that saves us is also the grace that continues to grow and sustain us. My pastor growing up used to always say this. He says, everything above hell is by God's grace. And the moment God's people forget that, they become Saul's. It's very, very important that we understand that. And I am the worst of them all. Humility says I'm not always right. I have so much to learn. I can't do this on my own. Here Paul's going through this process of transformation. He's literally going through this process of surrendering his life to Jesus. And many of us, listen, we, we think that it actually stops. And maybe you've heard uh, the story of Nick. You guys know Nick? It's short for Nicodemus in John 3. Nick, I call him Nick. And Nick is a religious guy. He's really trying his best to measure up. And he meets Jesus at night because he still has a reputation, you know. This guy is a little wild, right, a little radical. And he comes to Jesus at night, and he's done everything that he possibly knows how to do, but something's still missing. He's acting the best way he knows how. He knows something inside of him. The Bible, the Bible says that eternity's planted in the human heart. Like, it's there. You're cooperating with the Holy Spirit on every invitation to Easter Sunday. You're not doing it on your own. God's already working and speaking. He's already there. And, and, and you know, it, it's interesting when we walk through this process. So Nick shows up, and he, he kind of has it all together, but something's still missing. There are a lot of people who look like that. Like, they look like everything's together, but inside, something's still missing. Yes, Jesus, what do I got to do to see the kingdom of God? Something's missing. What do I have to do to make it right? It's a good question, by the way. And Jesus says, Nick, you've got to be born again. And, of course, that blows Nick's mind. He's a natural man. He's like, ooh, gross. I'm not doing that. That's impossible. We're not going to do that. Jesus says, no, it's a different birth. And, and, you know, in that moment, that transformation, by the way, that's the spirit of adoption for every single believer that gives their life to Christ. We're made now in the family of God. But here's the thing that Paul understood. And this is what I want to talk about as we kind of round this plane, okay? I want to talk about how that works its way out into the church. So the church is the spiritual family, the household of God. Think about this for a moment. We're born into the kingdom, but have you ever met a baby that wasn't born as the result of a family? I didn't say it was a functional family, okay? But every one of us, it's not just we're born into the world, but we're also born into what else? 
a family. You know, I hear people say this all the time. People are always like, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? I'll look at them and go, to be a successful one, yes. <laughs> There's things that you've got to learn in the context of community, in the context of walking with other people. By the way, it's essential. It's an absolute need. Our need for attachment is a survival need. For the believer that's born again, what does a baby need? Does a baby need good theology? We have good theology. <laughs> does a baby need like, you know, good instruction and workbooks and all that? No. You know what a baby needs? Connection. Scientifically, there have been studies that when you take physical touch out of a newborn's life, they actually go downhill. Many don't even survive. Even though they're being fed, even though they're listening to their favorite podcasts and their favorite TV preachers, there's still something about connecting with God's family you cannot get anywhere else. And by the way, the apostle Paul understood this. If he was here today, here's what he would say. He would say the church is about people. The church is about people. It's about you getting saved, knowing Jesus, but then walking it out with other people. This is so important because when you look at Paul's life, you see this, you see this people builder. You see this person who's surrounded by people that he's pouring into. I'll just name a few. You see Timothy. Timothy's open heart was ready to accept the gospel. He was being raised by his grandmother. The apostle Paul comes in and mentors Timothy, actually takes him on trips, and Timothy would go on to lead the church at Ephesus. And for those of you who don't like megachurches, well, Ephesus was a giant church. Almost every single one of the churches we read about, all of the problems came because of the harvest. There were just lots of people. Do you know what people bring? Lots of problems. <laughs> that was the result of leadership development in the church. Then you see Titus, another great leader. This was his faithful delegate. He sent Titus to Crete to work with all of the difficult people. Y'all know any crazy people? By the way, if you don't know any crazy people, you are definitely one. All right, we'll talk about that after church. Then you have Artemis. I mean, just look at this name. Like, he was obviously not a Jewish person. He was obviously a man that was in the world before. But Paul considered him a worthy replacement to replace Titus. We can see here that he was a competent, knowledgeable, faithful, mature man of God. We have Tychicus, which was another faithful Gentile believer, a native of Asia, Western Turkey. You know, we have a lot of people that are always talking about diversity. They're putting it on their mission statements and stuff. Did you know that if we just do what Jesus tells us to do in the Bible, we have one of the most diverse congregations ever. Just keep doing what we're doing. These people were from every single nation, every single tongue. What happened? The gospel, the resurrection changes people. I'm just going to tell you, listen, you can enforce or you can embody. Do you know what the, the teachings of scripture teach us to do? Embody the resurrected Christ right? Communion, right, is all about us unifying around the context of Jesus, not unifying around how much money we have in the bank account, not unifying around what the color of our skin is, as if it's actually determinative, because it's not, right? You know why you're valuable? I'm just going to say this. I'll let Pastor Nathan pick up the pieces later. You're valuable not because of anything put on you, but because you are a priceless image bearer of Jesus, period. Do you know why you owe respect and dignity to every single human being of every single race and of every single persuasion and situation, right? Because you're staring at an image bearer of God. That's actually why. If we get back to that, I think some things might change. Okay, yeah, good, good, good. Pastor Nathan can talk to you about the theology of all that later. Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the message about Christ, I love this. Paul was smart, very smart. He had lots of messages. He knew the philosophies. He understood postmodernism before it was postmodernism. He understood the Stoics and the Greeks. He was a smart person, right? But look what he says here. Let the message about Christ, let's get back to Christ in all its richness, fill our lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. 
with all the wisdom he gives, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. I love this passage, Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Can you go to church and still make it to heaven? I be, or not go to church and still make it to heaven. I believe you can. I believe there are a lot of people, they have eternity figured out, but they live a hell on earth. Do you know why? Because they never join into this great mystery called the church. All of the things we think that are going to fix everything, okay, none of them, all of them pale in comparison of the solve that Jesus gave us in establishing his church. As we close and we connect this link, right, this link from the church is all about people. I think it's important that we close and, and we, we open up with this understanding or we close out with this understanding that because it's about people, people also hurt people. And we have to make a commitment to choose to love the church anyways. And when you look at the Apostle Paul's life, that's my last point. When you look at the Apostle Paul's life, you see this incredible commitment to get over a fence. By the way, there, he had a really bad deal. Like as a pastor, and maybe you have a profession that you're in, and it's easy for us you know, to understand our own context and to kind of sit back and complain. Let me say, it's easier to curse the darkness than it is to be the light. It just is. And it's easy to sit back and go, man, I've, I've got a really bad deal. But when you study the life of Paul, he had a really bad deal. Like, like really bad deal. Most of his ministry, he had to actually work on the side. He would go in and share the gospel, establish these churches, and the religious people would still find a way to grab him and stone him. Right? He would eventually literally be martyred for his faith. And yet in all of his letters, you can see how he progresses through the epistles. We get to see his development. As he matured in Christ, here's what happened. He was able to love, forgive, and to move forward quicker. What if spiritual maturity isn't measured by how much of the Bible you know, right? but how easily you can overcome offense with someone else or how quickly that process happens? You Maybe you've heard this saying, hurt people, hurt people. I'm going to flip it on its head a little bit. Hurt people, help people. Do you know that? See, a lot of times we have this idea in relationships that we can have the sunshine with none of the rain. But on this side of heaven, Jesus says there will be trouble, okay? And sometimes the trouble's the enemy, the devil. Sometimes the trouble's ourself. And sometimes the trouble's just in the creative fall of where we are right now. One day, Jesus says he's gonna wipe every tear from our eye. But on this side of heaven, guess what we have to contend with? Our own heart. And when you're working with people, it can get really difficult as you're walking with people. Like even Easter people, Right? As your, this is interesting, that passage, iron sharpens iron. We love to quote that. How many of y'all like, you kind of knew that verse already. Maybe you didn't know the reference, but you've heard it before. And we think, man, that's just beautiful. Have you actually ever seen someone sharpen a knife and heard the noise? I, I can't stand it. We have these steak knives, these bougie steak knives that my wife has. Wife has. She's a, she likes to cook, so she's real picky about her knives. Anybody like that? It's kind of weird. Don't mess with her knives or she'll cut you. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. No. And she has this sharpener, this, this sharpening blade. And man, she'll be in there. I can't even go into the kitchen when she's doing that. She, she, she. I mean, it's like, have you ever heard nails on a chalkboard? And it's like, think about that for a minute. Think about that. As you're sharpened, as you grow in your faith, as we grow up together in community, there's gonna be some things that actually repel us about one another, but that are absolutely necessary for us to become all that God's created us to become. 1 Thessalonians 2.7. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had the right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for our own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's news, 
but our own lives too. You know, there are several epistles, letters, it's a New Testament word for letters, to the church. While while, uh, Paul would write these and he would actually be in prison. He'd be in prison and he would write these letters. I suppose he was probably a driver, you know, probably always liked to move and get things done. Prison was probably the only place he ever got that done, the writing done, you know. And he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And each was addressed to a specific church. In the case of Philemon, an individual. And, but, and, and, and it's interesting when you go through here, every one of them, every one of these letters were Paul trying to help the church get along. It was Paul trying to model with his life, not giving up. We say this a lot. You'll leave us before we leave you. We really mean that. Like there's something about staying and planting in a place that just promotes growth. In our culture, here's what our culture says. The first time you get offended, pull up root. The first time you struggle, just just leave and go start over. But that's actually not how you and I were designed to live. I'm gonna illustrate this as we close because I think this is really important as we look at expanding the church, as we look at what God's doing. By the way, this church started in a middle school. It will not end in middle school. There's all kinds of great plans coming for Liberty Hill. Yeah, you can clap for that. But I want you to change your perspective if you haven't already. I wanna give you an alternate perspective to the one that the world offers. You know, my daughter, uh, Adeline, she's nine now, but when she was about six, she came home with a science project and it was a styrofoam cup with a bean seed in the bottom with some dirt. Have you ever heard that, seen that? And there was a competition going on. All the kids took it home and they were supposed to bring it back. They were supposed to water it every single day. They were supposed to bring it back. And, and then they were gonna measure the sprouts and give an award. And, and of course, I'm pretty competitive. I like to win. By the way, when you read the Bible, God's a winner. <laughs> I'm just telling you, he's a winner. If your life ain't winning, there's not enough God in it. Okay, he's a winner, okay? I'm just saying, it's true. And, and, and so I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I got like extra fertilizer. You know, I'm like, I put some, you know, like chickens, put some chicken poop in there and moved it around. And I mean, we were so excited. One day went by, she had to get up and water it before bed. Every single night, man, she was so faithful to keep an eye on it. It was sitting on a windowsill. And a week went by and kids started bringing back their bean sprout and it was starting to sprout. And Addie started getting really, really disappointed and really, really frustrated. She's like, what happened? Is my, what's wrong with the seed? What's wrong with the seed? And I, I just was thinking about it too. I'm like, okay, there has to be a reason. So I watched her really, really closely in her routine. And it was interesting, she'd get up and she'd go to the kitchen and she'd pour water into it. And I kind of leaned in one night and as she was pouring water, actually right before she pulled water, she took her finger and she dug it down into the cup and pulled out the seed and did this with it. And then put it right back in and then poured the water over it. It's funny. Western Christians do the same thing with the church. By the way, what if the problem isn't the word? What if the problem is the soil of our own heart? What, what if the problem isn't the seed, the Bible says, which is the word of God, Mark 4, in our heart being planted? What if that's not the problem, but it's us nurturing it long enough for it to actually do anything? You see, you can't, when you look at what God's doing in your life, you can't see it like a microwave. You have to see it like a lifetime. The whole story of your life is as tapestry for you and for this time. And so I just want, I want to just encourage you. I don't know why that was where I went, but I do want to really encourage you here if there was ever a time to lean into the church, if there was ever a time to actually show up to something your pastor asked you to do so that you can grow. By the way, we're really busy. 
right? But we know there's nothing more important than you taking your place and fulfilling your purpose in God's family. I would encourage you this Easter season in preparing for where we're going to lean in and to do that. The first thing you can do, by the way, is register for the new members event if you haven't. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for the power of your word. I thank you, Father, for what you're doing in this incredible church. I pray, Father, for each and every person in here within the sound of my voice. I pray, God, that if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw them to the truth, your truth, the only truth. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed. No one looking around for just a minute. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. I do believe one of the most important things that we do in every single one of our churches and every single service is we create a place and a space for people who are not right with God to get right with God. I think it's the most important thing that we do. And in a moment, I want to give you that opportunity. Listen, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to single you out. We're not going to do anything weird. You might have seen late night Christian TV. Okay, but I do think it's important that I pray for you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that your way to God isn't in your own strength, but it's in placing your trust, confessing with your own mouth, your own free will, that he's Lord, and putting your life in his hands in the power of the resurrection. The Bible says on the other side of that, you can begin again, or you can begin for the first time. Maybe you're in here and at one point in your life you followed God, but if I looked at your life, you go, you know what, I'm not following God, but I want to. Maybe you're in here and you've never followed Christ. Maybe you've seen religion, but you've never really experienced what it means to be relationally connected to your creator, what it means to take your place in his family. And you're saying, you know what, I want to do that for the first time. If that's you, listen, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I do want to pray for you. If that's you, would you just put your hand up halfway and put it right back down? Is there anybody here you say, Pastor, that's me, pray for me. Far from God, I don't want to be. Is there anybody you'd say, hey, that's me. I came in here. I want to leave different. I see you. Thank you. Just put it up, put it down. You're just acknowledging between me, you, and God that that's you. Is there anyone else you'd say, that's me? Thank you. Thank you. In a moment, we're going to pray a prayer. I'm going to lead you in a prayer based on Romans chapter 10, 9. I want to encourage you if you raised your hand. Maybe you didn't because you thought I'd still embarrass you. I'm not going to. But I do think it's important that you understand the only way back to God is you give him permission for him to come into your life. And in a moment, we're gonna pray a prayer based on this passage. I'm gonna lead you in the prayer. Matter of fact, the Christians next to you are gonna pray it very, very loud because all of their faith started or restarted with a prayer similar to this. I wanna encourage you to allow the prayer to be an expression of what he's doing in your life. I believe on the other side of that, we're gonna give you some next steps, but I believe God's gonna meet you. Church, we believe in what they're doing. Let's pray this all together. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I believe that you are God, and I believe that you're good. I believe on the third day, you defeated death through the resurrection. I believe you conquered death so that I could have life. And today, I accept that life. Today I start a new life and a new walk. Today I'm yours. It's in your name that I pray. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service time, 
and plan your visit by visiting vintage.church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.